All right. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to part two with Aaron Bleasy from the Fall Podcast and kind of the cameraman, the man behind the camera at uh, at with the Kiefer Brothers. So today we wanted to talk about how your how your property sets up for specific times of year. You know, is it better in the early season? Is it is it better in the pre rut, the rut, or the late season? And what how you can scout in the springtime and right now, and how you can figure that out and gather data so it's better for you in the fall. So, you know, you're not, you're not planning on a, a fantastic rutcation and, and the rut kind of lays out the worst for your property. So that was, that's kind of the intent, but before we get there, um, Aaron, you just went on uh, like a big shed hunting trip this week. We had to cancel our initial meeting time because you were out finding antlers. <laughs> so yeah, tell <laughs> yeah, me about yeah. it. Man. Tell me about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Casey and I went down to Illinois. Uh, we, we just acquired a new piece of property. Uh, I actually just closed on it. I think it was like last month or something like that. So Casey's been on the property twice before this, like kind of checking it out, making sure it's something that we want to get into. But uh, uh, this was the first time that I have set foot on the property. So just him and I went down there um, and we wanted to do a shed hunt and we needed to measure food plots. So we need to know you know, we got like 13 food pots on the property and we wanted to measure everything to, to make sure we got the right amount of seed and what we wanted to do and just kind of get a game plan. But honestly, I mean, shed hunting was first and foremost and scouting because I mean, him and I have, haven't really been into the belly of the beast, if you want to call it that, like on this farm. And I mean, we did pretty good. We walked uh, two days, walked 25 and a half miles. We found 18 sheds, uh, two two dead bucks um two really good dead deer um which was pretty pretty heartbreaking like literally uh the one i found the second one i found was i mean a baby giant he was a two-year-old i mean you could tell he was a two-year-old and i i would have to say he's probably uh man if he's probably right at 140 if not like 140 mid 140s he's he was a big deer um so that was pretty heartbreaking but yeah have you ever heard the theory on finding those? Like when you find dead deer, most of the time, I heard this from an old timer back in the day. He said, if you find a buck and it's like hard horned, it did not die of natural causes because when they just die of old age, they just don't grow their antlers and they just die off when, because like really? they don't have enough nutrients to like really mm-hmm. grow. Like it's not a, like the antlers aren't a necessity for living. So when they die of old age, they typically don't die with the rack on. That's an old, that was an old timer who told me that. And he told me that when, really, yeah, we were walking a piece of property and we found a, a buck in a Creek bed and we're standing in the, in the Creek bed and he looks over and the road's like 150 yards away. And he's like, yeah, this deer was poached. I was like, how can you tell? And he's like, well, it's 150 yards from the road and it's hard horned. He's like, if it was just an old buck that died, he wouldn't have antlers in I know hmm. people poach around here. So yeah, this buck was probably shot and let lay. So it always That's like whenever, yeah, whenever I find, uh, whenever I find deadheads or I see deadheads, I always think, you know, that's probably somebody who wounded it during gun season or bow season and it just died and no one ever found it. Yeah. And, and honestly, the one buck that I found the first one, I think it was, was all broke up and i figured that would have been i mean 
would have, could have, should have kind of deal. You know what I mean? It's like you're all throwing darts at the wall and guessing. But, like, yeah. I mean, he could have been, uh, you know, poked by an antler in a fight in November or something like that. And, you know, could have killed him. Yeah. Like, it, it, like anything could have happened, I guess. But, yeah, I've never heard that, really. Um, but the thing is, I've never found a deer that was dead from old age. So I, I really couldn't, you know, right? I couldn't That's, tell you. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't, like, how can you? prove that it's a hard thing to it's a hard thing to prove out either way but i'd be interested if somebody actually out there listening knew the answer to that please write in tell me i'm wrong yeah tell me that they think i'm right (laughs) (laughs) yeah but uh anyway baby giant 140 inches that is outrageously big um yeah so but what about the other one you were saying so yeah, so I found another one. The first one I found uh, was on a field edge, and I I honestly think this one was probably probably um, I mean it could be anything. Could have been a hunter shot him and and didn't find him. Um, it would have had to have been a neighbor because the previous owners we know them and we know what they shot and and everything. So it had to have been a neighbor and it ran on us. Uh, but uh, he was a, you could tell he was at least a three or four year old just by like when you put their skulls up next to each other, you could just tell um, sure. that one was younger than the other. This one was probably about the same size, maybe a little bigger, um, mid 140s, probably just a heavier deer, slick mainframe 10. Uh, the first one I found, or the second one I found, which would have been the baby giant, he had like a bifurcation on, so he had like uh, 2G uh threes on the left he had a kicker on the right like he was just a he had the genetics i mean his brows were big like he just had he was just it you know if you would have had three four more years this deer is a booner you know what i mean he you oh, could just yeah. tell from and he was just a baby you know so it's just that's just a disappointing but other than that i mean we found 18 sheds casey found a match shed that uh he scored up just doing doing a rough estimate and it was low 160s um so he found in in the one shed side that he found was right in his bed and the other one was like 40 yards from Mm -hmm. from him so and that's another thing we we found we found three match sets and all all the matches were within 50 yards of each other that we found (laughs) so that was pretty neat for you yeah yeah yep Nice. And so, and you found them in beds, not even necessarily just the food. No. So honestly, we only found um, two out of the 18 in food. All the rest of them were south facing slopes. Really? Okay. Yep. Yep. Oh, that's good. And, and in beds, obviously. So, I mean, those were. Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, we, like I said, we walked a lot. We walked this whole property and, found a couple in beds but we uncovered some valuable information and i'm going to actually cut a podcast on my podcast here soon about just kind of the back story of like what i found and we can even cover it today if you want but the buck beds that uh, i discovered alone because casey and i weren't together most or a lot of the time but even if we were you know we have a way of like dissecting what we find so it's like you know i found buck beds before and then I always like get down in the bed, kind of look and dissect it a little bit. And the ones that really hit me are the ones that we mark on the map and, and him and I will actually walk back to the bed and I'll kind of give him 
what I'm thinking, then he'll give me what he's thinking, and we kind of form a game plan around that. And that's kind of how our scouting for buck beds goes once we do find them. But, man, not that I, I, I'm not an expert at it at all, um, but I was uncovering some things that that uh, not everybody says, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. um, as far yeah, as no, where I was finding them. them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, buck bedding is a, is a really good topic. It's, it's hot topic and people want to know more about it. So yeah, let's hear your experience, man. Yeah. So all, all these beds that I found majority of them were on. So just to kind of break down the farm, it's 450 acres all the food is up top it's rolling hills it's big hill country um rolling 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 like hills that like you look up and you're like shit i gotta go up another one <laughs> kind of thing like but they're all rolling hills so if you can imagine like spines you know what i mean of, of mm-hmm. secondary hills and ridges coming off and just spidering basically um a lot of people that i've heard talk about buck beds and not that this is wrong i'm not saying this is right or wrong they say that these buck beds are usually out on the points and out on um, the points of these spines or on the secondary ridges, which we did find some there. But the more prominent buck beds that we found were if you walk those spines out, now they weren't necessarily on the point. They were more, they were, I would say 60, at least 60 yards off of that point, um, back up the spine. And it started making a lot of sense with a couple buck beds that I found of why they were doing that. And um, the one in particular bed that I actually did find in a bottom. So if you can imagine a big gully, like just in between two big hills, um, Mm -hmm. I was walking over one of these big hills, come down to the bottom. And I just got this like feeling that was like, man, it's just really bucky. You know, I just felt like it was really bucky. I look over and I just see this bed and there's an antler 10 yards from it. And I'm like, okay, you know, it wasn't a giant one, but he was probably a two or three year old. And uh, I pick up the antler and I'm starting to dissect this bed and I'm figuring out, trying to figure out like why, if it is a buck bed, trying to figure out, you know, if it is a buck bed and then why he is bedding here, what Wendy's bedding on probably and where the does are at and when he's bedding in here and all that kind of stuff. Everything's racing through my head. So what I basically uncovered was, so let's just for speaking, let's say as the gully goes up to the top of the ridge is to the east. Okay. And then to the west is like where it lays out into the bottom. If you can, if that makes sense. And the um, spines up on top of this. Yep. The spine would be if you running like perpendicular to the spine. Yep. So if you're the the gully would be running east and west. So east up top would be east. Um, Down in the bottom would be west. So I'm trying to figure out what the heck's going on here and figuring out what wind this buck's been on. And I figured out that I I basically broke it down to where like I figured this buck would be betting on this on a west wind. And the reason being is because all the does in the bedding are to the west of this bed. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that's wrong. The food is to the west. The bedding is to the east. And then I figured he'd be bedding in this bed 
uh, as the does are coming back from the food from the west. So he, it, and, and it made sense because it was thick, thick to the west. Uh, and then to the east, it was, it was pretty open, but it was up a big hill and you can't see very far. So I figured he was betting um, and having that wind go over his back and any does that were coming by him, he could scent check. Now the trails that were coming from this bottom were basically a Y and the Y met right at the bed, if that makes sense. So the Y, if you take his bed and go straight West uh, as a Y, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. um, it would be, that's how like the trails would come through and they had to, because it was so thick in the bottom, like nothing could get through there. Um, and it was just unique in the fact that like, it's kind of hard to explain just when I was there, it just felt like, man, this is a no doubter, like a no doubter. So I brought Casey in and we tried to figure out how we're going to game plan to, to hunt it. And we figured we weren't going to be able to hunt it from the bottom just because of the thermals uh, and trying to get in, it would be a nightmare. I mean, it's the jungle down in there. So we figured we're going to have to hunt them from the East, especially on a West wind, because so, we yeah, knew that there was just that uh, help give me a little clarity here. So, um, the, the gully runs West to East, right? Yep. Yep. And, uh, the, the spine runs North to South. Well, yes, but there's two fingers that are running East and West that connect the spine to the bottom to the West. Does that make sense? Okay. And the West is to the bottom. Got it. Yep. So yep. As you go, so, east, you're going uphill. Yes, exactly. Got it. Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. So All that's right. where yeah, we yeah. figured we're going to have to hunt them. Okay. So yeah. in the, in the, in the bed that you found, was it on the South side or the North side of this gully? So that was what was kind of unique about it. It was right smack dab in the middle. It was in the bottom. It, it wasn't more on the huh. North side or the South side. You know that's what I mean? Right. It was like yeah. right in the middle. Huh? Yeah, that is really unique. Because yeah, I mean, that's not what. Was, yeah. Anyway, that's not I'm what. Sorry. People tell no, you. no, go ahead. That's not what people tell you. They tell you that it'll be, you know, at the top of that gully right before it gets to the top of the spot, right before it gets, you know, breaks off the top of the spine, and you go like 30, 40 yards down from the top of the spine, and it's going to be kind of right in there. And this isn't even kind of close to that. It's, that's exactly and that's what was kind of like hitting me was you know from from where his bed was in the very bottom where it laid yeah. out it's basically where the the gully comes like sharp down from the east and rays that starts leveling out going into the bottom that's where the bed was so if you take a line from his bed up to the top to the east I mean you're talking it's at least 100 yards if not more until you even get to the top of like the epicenter, the, yeah. the spine, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't know why it's there and it could be like a certain thermal he gets or, or it's just so concentrated with those coming from bed to food right there. Cause yeah. the food is pretty prominent and the bedding is pretty prominent there for those. So I, I think it's going to be a pretty hard bed to, to, to hunt if we do want to hunt it, but we're going to have to hunt it from the top. I feel like. Yeah. And, and in the bottom, I mean, when, so I hunted bottoms this year, I hunted and last year, I hunted a lot of bottoms and it the wind just swirls on you so bad. Yeah. Like yep. 
squirrels and swirls. So, I mean, when deer are in there, like they feel safer than safe because it just swirls always around and they're going to pretty much catch yeah. anything. Um, I found that when I wanted, like if I wanted to hunt those bottoms, it needed to be on like a wind that was, you know, five miles an hour or less. Cause the wind is going to mm -hmm. be measured okay. at the top and in the bottoms, you know, if it's five miles an hour up on the top and you get in that bottom, it's going to be like dead calm. Right. And, mm -hmm. um, and at that point, now you just can play thermals. Now you can play, you know, the first hour of light, they'll still be sinking after that light comes up, then they'll start rising. And in the evening, that last hour they'll, they'll fall in the, and until then they'll rise. So you can kind of play those thermals at that point when there's no wind, but if there's like, Oh, any sort of wind in the bottoms that I was hunting, it's like, I, it could call for a Northwest wind and I'd get in the stand and it'd be East and I'd be like, what the hell, <laughs> you know, it's, yep. <laughs> uh, it's like one of those things. So, so that was, so essentially like if I, like I set up our property, so this coming years or this year, I did it a lot more and I was more successful at, at seeing deer in the bottoms but if it's a if it's a stronger wind um i'm up on the tops if it's like a dead wind i'm down in the bottoms okay so that's kind of yeah um and and that that's, that's the, yeah anyway go sorry go that's ahead a, that, no you're good that that's a pretty cool theory though because a lot of what i've heard is if it's a strong wind go low because deer want to go low you know if it's a it's a really strong wind now now I know you're talking, I'm talking like 30 mile an hour winds and you're st still on to hunt. If, if, if it's a strong wind like that, people say go low. And if it's, if it's not, then, then go high. That's, you know, just kind of a rule of thumb that people would say, but um, I don't yeah, know. That, I would think a, that makes, that makes sense. But, and I'm, and you're talking from a deer movement perspective and I'm talking from right. a management perspective. 100%. Yes. So yeah i haven't i don't i can't i have, i can't speak to that at all because i i don't i haven't kept track of if it's you know high winds and if the deer are up top or down low and the way the property that i hunt sets up is really like um the the hillsides are so steep that they're like actual rock rock facing cliffs um and some okay. of these deer seem to be like part mountain goat but they're either <laughs> they're generally either in the bottom or they're up on top of the cliff. It's, it's one or the other. And it doesn't seem to, I haven't been able to pinpoint a reason why they choose one or the other. I think it's just based on where they bed or where they're yeah. walking to bed that day. Cause sometimes I'll see them. Cause when you walk into my property, like as you're walking down, you park at the top of a hill we own a valley and then and then part of the hills the other hillside so we own a south and a north hillside and there's a valley that runs east to west um okay so as you're going down into the property when you look straight across to the other hillside there's a power line cut and every now and then early morning when i'm walking down into the bottom i will see deer on the on the very top of the other hillside going you know left to right or right to left via the power line cut um but it, there doesn't seem i have not put any sort of pattern to it <laughs> so i gotcha do you do you find it harder or easier to hunt with those jagged cuts that you have you know like the hillsides like being like rock based do you find it easier or harder to hunt 
Um, it so this I mean this is like part of that that theory that we we're going to cover today, which is like when is your property good? Um, it really sets up well for pinch points because it's I it's a 50, okay. 50 shot. You know, if they're if they're on the North Hill side, it's a 50 50 chance that they're either up on top and I can't shoot them or they're down low and I can like I got you. Yeah. So generally I've yeah. Um, yeah, I. I would. Yeah, that's that's where I'm at. I'm sorry. I actually honestly forgot the question. What would you say? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just saying it, do you is you find it easier or harder to oh, hunt yeah, with, with those. Cliffs. Yeah. Yeah. With the cliffs. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, no, I, 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 like I said, it's a 50, 50 shot, but I actually like the cliff aspect of it. Cause I will hunt those cliffs without a stand at all. Cause you don't need one. Um, okay. I got you. like a natural stand. Like I have a few spots set up where I just bring a, a chair or sometimes there's rocks there that I don't even need to need a chair or anything. I just bring a pad. And when the deer come through, I'm already 15, 20, 25 feet above them. And like, I don't have to worry about, you know, just a, you know, a two by three platform to stand on. Like I have this sure. rock. So that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Um, yeah, it gives that 50, 50 shot and the other hillside is, is less rocky, but yeah, it just really helps to funnel, funnel trails. I mean, they don't have yep. nearly okay. as many options. Like they can't use a whole hillside. They either have to use the bottom or the top. Yep. And then that might even be, make it easier too, because like you said, play, play wind and thermals, you know, like you mm -hmm. said, if, if you know, the thermals are dropping in there pretty good into the bottoms, maybe you hunt the bottom, you know, or vice versa, or, you know, that, that that'd be pretty unique. That'd yeah. Be cool. Yeah. One of the other things I was really learning and trying to focus on this year was like cloudy versus sunny days and how long, like if it's a sunny day, um, you know, when you first get in your stand in the morning, right off the bat, um, it's cold, it's dark. There's no, the sun's not out. So the thermals are still coming down. Like the earth really hasn't started warming up yet. So you got a clear bluebirds sunny day. Um, about 30, 45 minutes into that sunrise is when your thermals kind of start putzing around. And then within an hour, hour and 15, hour and a half, then your full on thermals are going up, right? With that sun starting to heat everything up. Um, yep. I was really focused on this year sometime when I was in the bottoms in the morning or bottoms in the evening is if it's overcast, when does that switch occur and how much more time do I get when it's overcast or not sunny, right? Or if it's cloudy or whatever, because the earth doesn't heat up. Yeah, but exactly. So did you figure anything out there? Because that's a pretty unique stance on that. I've never even thought of it that way. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it's it's that you get more time. Um, it's just, I don't know how much more, because, you know, like one of the things, one of my one of my best stands that I really like is is a morning sit. And I usually get about an hour in it um, or, and then, and then I got to get out because the thermals are shooting right up to the trails because the trails are up above me, right? I'm in this bottom, okay. the cliffs are 50 yards away. I can shoot the entire thing. Um, if a deer comes through, 
and it's going from one bedding area to another bedding area. So it's a great rut pinch point spot. Um, I got gotcha. you. And it tends to be a morning based on trail cameras. It tends to be a morning travel route. Um, so, or a morning ish, I should say, cause I get a lot of pictures in there from right away at first light, but then also like that nine to 11, but that nine to 11, like my thermals will be going uphill at that point. Right. Mm-hmm. So on the overcast days, I was trying to figure out like how long I can get away with it. And, um, and I never got to that 9am point. So I, you know, I don't, <laughs> I couldn't tell you. Um, but I yeah. mean, I certainly lasted, I was certainly able to sit in there longer with my thermals going downhill. Um, I see. And vice and vice versa. Like, I mean, it'll cool faster than too. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think it's something like you guys are just going to have to play with and anybody out there who, who hunts hill country and has to deal with thermals. Um, it's just something that's unique to your property as well. And, and shadows matter a lot too. Like if you can stay in the shadows, um, if you have a big, like one of the stands I sit in, um, it has a big patch of pines behind it and I'll stay in the shadows a lot longer. So my thermals will stay lower a lot longer. Um, yeah. Sun rises. I just, I'm not in the sun. So yeah, it's, it's really strange. And we sat that, I sat that with a buddy one night, the, the other stand I was talking about in the bottom, um, where it's 50 yard shot to the cliff. Um, we sat in it one night and our thermals were dropping. We were just in it for the last hour of light because that's the only time we could get in there. Um, and there was a Creek below us. And then below that is kind of this little small CRP area and some does we were in that stand and some does stood up in that CRP, which is where our thermals were dropping to and walked to us and they got a drink from the Creek and then they walked up the Creek and um on the other side from us so they were probably only like 50 yards from us maybe and they never smelt us once even though when i hit that wind checker the wind it was going right to them and my buddy looks at me he's like dude that creek has got to be like a wall of thermal like that before our scent is getting to those does it is hitting that creek and just shooting down with the creek there's there's no way like that's the only explanation on this so you think as it was getting to the creek, it was shooting down like right at the water? No, it would like flow the direction of the creek. So oh yeah, it yeah, was yeah. Just flowing like like because there was I you know this is super like nitpicky, but we were just we were trying to figure out why why the like you hit your wind checker and the wind's blowing straight at these two does and they don't even care, you okay. know, and you're like what the hell they're 50 yards I haven't showered in three days my buddy Parker probably hasn't showered in a month um he's just a dirty kid as it is so (laughs) so we're just like what why why are why are they not you know burning rubber out of here um you know our theory is like that the creek is just it's it's moving air right it's colder than the air generally and it's moving air with it as it's going downhill essentially the creek's flowing downhill so when our when our uh if you can envision like an air current you know probably 10 15 20 feet straight up from that creek um flow like it's just like a wall air current and our scent was just hitting it and it was just shooting right down it 
Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Got it. I, that's, that's the only explanation we could come up with, but you know, it's funny you say that I had an instance this year in some hardwoods and I won't make this story too long, but something that really started, uh, making my head spin a little bit and it, I'm starting to to learn more and more about these thermals I mean it's a different game when you're learning about thermals and and if they rise and they drop and everything so anyway I, I'm I'm sitting in the morning in a I did a hang and bang in the morning in a uh just in a timber and flat timber but I had uh the acorns were really good this year around us and the white acorns and I had a tree that when I walked in the night before, it was like sandy underneath the tree and there was like no tracks. When I walked out that night and went by that tree again, I mean, it looked like a herd of deer underneath there eating acorns. So I'm like, well, I'm going to sit here in the morning. Anyway, I get in the stand, sun comes up and, you know, the sun is coming right up in front of me. I'm facing east and all these shadows are around me you know in the shadows of the trees and everything around me so I throw some milkweed out and I had a big shadow over me and it's dropping I mean right off my stand it is dropping right to the ground and all of a sudden it starts to drift a little bit to my left and I'm like what the heck and it's going to a sunspot that's on the ground that's about let's call it three basketball sizes okay and that's just one spot that's sunny where the sun's getting through and it pulls it right to that spot. And right when it got to it, I'm not kidding you, it started to go straight up. Like it just started to pull straight up. And then once it got out of the sun, and then it would kind of level out and then it started moving back down. It was crazy. And my wind was doing wicked things that morning, but it was just how when you brought up like shade areas and everything, like it's it can do some funky things in there. Right. And like, and that's, you know, and then there's other days where you're, sitting in the stand and a buck that's in theory a hundred percent upwind of you and you you're like oh he'll never smell me and all of a sudden he's picked you at a hundred yards yep and you're like how in the hell does that happen and and it's yep. it's thermals and wind just swirling around like if you're in hill country like that's just what it is and it's like god there's so much i don't understand about this <laughs> <laughs> no it's true man um Yep. So, okay. So back to, back to your, your, uh, last week. So you found these buck beds. So then you guys, you found this buck bed. So you and, uh, was it Chris you were with, right? Casey. Yeah, I was oh, with Casey. Casey. So you and Casey went back there and checked it out and made a kind of made a plan and you're going to try to hunt them from the top then hunt that from the top. Um, yeah, probably more uh, of a nor or uh, a west wind. I'm sorry, yeah. and it will probably be more of a morning hunt. I would think, um, just because I feel like we're gonna catch the does coming back from feed to bed, and I feel like that buck. I think we could get that buck where we're gonna set up. I feel like he'll be bedding. He could be bedding there, and we could get in the stand no problem, and not bump him. And um, I think. The does will want to bet on like farther than where we're going to be. And I feel like he might pick up does as they're coming through and they're going to hopefully bring him up by us because once you get to the top, it pinches like crazy. It's like the end of the Y, you know what I mean? It's like the, it's like the, um, what you, it's not the Y part, but it's the, the post, I bet, I guess sure. you could say, um, 
it's and it's a perfect pinch and the and the hillsides on each side are so steep that it's hard for them to get up there so they're going to take path re- least resistance and i honestly think it's going to be a no-brainer at the top nice ah that's cool um so yeah. then are you is that the only like instance buck bed like you found or do do we want to cover a few more so so uh, let me brush on the ones that we found that were all like how what i've heard a lot of people say is is they're on these points they're on the points of the spines and everything that are up top so everything was like 50 to 60 yards off the point and in my only theory why they weren't at the end of the point and it might be hard to envision it but if you can envision like if you're looking at your hands and you spread your fingers out and let's say those your fingers are all the tops and they those are just the spines they're the the top the top right you know spiders or whatever you want to call them um and they gradually all dump down into a very big steep steep bottom okay and the only thing i can the only reason why i feel like they weren't at the points of all of these is because when you get to the points you're almost like you're on an island and i feel like either a he didn't have like a good exit from predators it was only like basically one way out to the end and one way back you know what i mean like out like basically if he's gonna fall off he's gonna fall off the face of the earth kind of in a way you know what i mean he's he's, it's gonna be hard for him to peel off the sides of these and and get away where he was bedded he could have two to three exits if he needed and then the other thing was is where he was bedded he could see ridges across from himself and he could see the whole ridge sides Okay. When you get down lower, his, his vision changes immensely and he couldn't see much. So I feel like that's the only reason, or those are the only reasons why he wasn't out on the point, because a lot of things that I hear from guys that are, you know, in hill country and thing, they're like, they're going to be on those points. They're going to be on those points, which I'm not saying they're not, but in this instance where we're at, and I know everybody's situation can be different, how the, how the land lays and everything but just on how steep the hills were and his vision and everything, I just don't feel like he felt like he was safe out there and he couldn't see enough. That was my only observation. Yeah, no, it's, and that's interesting. That's a good, and it's a good point to make is that you said, I don't know how everybody else's property lays out because some people might have those points and boom, all the buck beds are right on those points. Right. Right. Yep. Based on the, the surrounding topography and the surrounding landscape and, and where does bed and where the where any of the predatory animals would come from where the danger comes from like there's a lot of different things that come into it but it sounds like on this property the deer over you know thousands and thousands of years have said well now it's safer to bed over here and that's why they bed there you know 56 yards off the point so if people are out there spring scouting right now and you're looking for these beds to try to hone in on them to to hunt this fall or to keep an eye on this fall, like maybe they're not on that point. Maybe they're off. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying. Yep. Yeah. No, that's 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 really interesting. And I could see why they'd want to see the whole other side as well. I mean, you see it all and then you could smell kind of everything coming over the the top of the hill behind you, depending on your wind and sure. whatnot. 
but you you also said that most of them were on south facing slopes too yes yep most of them are i would say over at least over half of them are were on south facing slopes um and that was pretty eye-opening as well uh but you could tell i mean these were beds that were obviously you could tell they were used in you know, in, in October and November, not saying they're not getting, being used right now, but okay. you could tell they were, I mean, a lot of them, a lot of them had rubs right in them. Um, little saplings or, or stuff yeah. that was rubbed up right in them. And like I said, I'm not saying they're not using them now, but because we were finding sheds and beds, not all of them, but we were finding sheds and beds. So, but a lot of them were, you could tell that they were using them during the rut phases and during the hunt season. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point too, is because sometimes those beds will only be, you know, January, February, March bed bedding areas and they're not you they're not like huntable because they're out of season when they're actually using them. That's a great point. Yep. Is you wanna and I, I will check that. Yep. I will say too, on one south facing slope, and it's huge, it's a big south facer. We found nine sheds on that one slope. So you could tell that all these bucks were probably yarding up. You know what I mean? A lot of them were yarding up in this. And it was, it was just off food too, but there was no sheds in the food. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> huh? Well, yeah, I mean, they, yeah. And I'm not a expert shed finder by any means. I'm actually a pretty poor one. Um, but they always, they always say like, look where the deer spend their time. Cause that's the best odds of where you're going to find them you know right, so yeah. they, they spend their time in their in their beds and they spend their time in their food like so i mean i guess it would make sense to find them in beds anyway or travel mm -hmm. trails in and out of beds um yep. so then no that's that's really cool and that's that's super unique so do you guys intend on like setting up on a few of these buck beds in, in season to see if you can catch something in them I think so. Um, I think a lot of them are pretty tough to get to just in how big and how vast this property is. Um, like I said, it's 450 acres, but really it hunts like a, a thousand acres. It, it feels so big. Um, and these bucks are bedding here for a reason. <laughs> it, right. it, when you really sit down and look and it's like, man, it, we can't get that tight to some of these deer uh, or some of these bucks and hope hopefully they're in them. But the good thing is we've got a lot of food and food plots laid out basically in correlation to these beds. Uh, so, you know, we've got some staging plots that are going to be really key right, right. You know, inside, like as they come out of their bed, they have to go one of two ways in a lot of these. And there's a food source, a staging food source, a smaller food plot, little kill plot, and most sense half acre to an acre um, that they're going to be hitting before they, well before they hit the main food source. So I feel like it might be one of those things that we just kind of lay back, maybe hunt the food source first, and then then adjust from there kind of thing. But yeah. going in and scouting all this and knowing where they're at and having them marked out now we know where we can make a, a surgical move right away if we need to and get in a little tighter and we know what we can get away with now yeah yeah so if i were if i were in that scenario it'd kind of be like all right well let's sit the food 
or let's put our trail cameras out there on that food. And if we're only getting, you know, pictures of him 30 minutes after dark or an hour after dark, well, then we got to close, close the gap, right? We got to close that distance. For sure. But if we're getting pictures of him during daylight, no need to push in. Right. Exactly. hundred yeah. percent, man. No, that's, that's cool. So yeah. And then for anybody else, else out there like if you have that capability to put those little kill plots in and whatnot which i'm going to try this year on our property i certainly will and if and the other way is if you find these on like a piece of public obviously you're not going out and planting food plots on public one of the other ways to do that is to kind of hunt your way in you know you have a the the more distance you have from that buck bed the the safer you are and setting up and not disturbing him and bumping him but at the same time the lower your odds of catching them during daylight are so, you know, if you're able to, if you're able to, you know, kind of work your way in and maybe start at 100, 120, 150 yards away and then work your way into 100 and then to 80 and then maybe you can squeeze in a 50 yard, you know, setup. That's a hell of a setup, but <laughs> might be able to do it. Um, yep. And that's a, another, another good point to make about buck beds is that uh, I had one, I had one guy message me on Instagram recently. He's like, I thought, I thought bucks just generally had like one or two beds and that's pretty in my experience and in talking to a lot of different people, it's, that's pretty rare. Bucks will have, you know, seven, eight, 15, 20, hell, uh, it, it just depends on the territory in the landscape. Yeah. It, I can't really speak for that either. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it, I'm not an expert by any means. I'm pretty green when it comes to buck bedding, to be honest with you. And that's why I was so excited to find all these beds and really learn more about it. But like, I've asked a lot of guys too, about like, you know, does a, does a buck have, is he going to come back to this bed? I mean, if he, if he knows he's safe, how many times is he going to come back to this bed and how many beds do they have? And I can't specifically tell you how many times, actually probably once maybe if i can think of really hard if i i've seen a buck bed in the same bed in one year or in two years like it just i've never really seen it and i've i've been around quite a bit you know in the last you know decade or so around the midwest and a lot of different states and haven't really seen that you know what i mean so i can't really speak on that no i i would yeah i i'm not some massive buck bed killer or anything like that but I, I would also agree it's uh it's it would be pretty rare for a buck to just like go from a single bed to like a single food source and back to that bed over and over and over again. yeah like that's a that's a recipe for death and i think they know it um yeah i think the i think generally they will they kind of have like a route and that's why like when you pattern a deer in the summer or something like that, a lot of times it's like every couple of days he's in this field. It's not every single night. It's, you know, every couple of days he's here, every couple of days he's there. Um, I don't know, this is all, this is all theory and, and hearsay, but I feel like they have a route that they'll hit. They're like, they'll go from, from food source or from bed A to food source A and then bed B to food source B and then bed C to food source C and then come back. And then all of a sudden they'll be back at a again and they'll kind Mm -hmm. of like work a a route that is conducive to for safety and also 
food source. And then during season, it's based on pressure and where the does are and where other bucks are and where their territory lands where, you know, the dominant bucks territory lands. Like there's so much that goes into it. I just, yeah, I just highly, highly doubt that they sit in the same one ever all the time. So many variables. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that's one of the other things that kind of sucks about like trying to hunt your way in over a couple days is because you might've sat 120 yards out when he was there and then you're working your way in and, uh, and he's not there the next couple of days, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it's kind of one of those, it has to, yeah, it has to be right place, right time, or you have to put in enough sits on that one bed or what, that one bedding area that eventually he beds there when you're sitting, yep. there, which is a hundred percent like the opposite of like uh the the saying of the first sit is the best sit because then you're sitting that that sit for you know 10 15 <laughs> 20 times and he finally shows up right yep. yeah there's so yep. uh, man there's so much that goes into that i have a buddy who kills good bucks every year and he's like nah dude i sit the same stand during the rut for probably like four six days in a row every year and eventually i kill one he's like at some point they come through here they just have to so i just sit the same spot and i just wait good for him (laughs) right i can't do it (laughs) it's hard for me to sit to be like i know he's gonna i always say it you know you always look in a tree it's like man if if you had one tree you could sit in and it was that tree you sit in it all year you would kill one you would kill one you know (laughs) yep and then and then you're like but i i just i don't have the patience (laughs) (laughs) yes exactly uh um so then to to tie this into how properties set up um do you guys have an idea are you guys looking at that piece going like man we'll do really well early season or, or are you guys thinking man we're gonna have to hunt this during the rut or or late season or you know with 450 acres it might be good the entire the entire you know season it's just really maneuvering based on like stands that are set for early season stands that are set for the rut and then stands that are set for late you know it's it's interesting you say that because this might not be the answer you want but i think it's going to be good no matter what time in the fall um we've got some early season food sources that are going to be dynamite um if as long as you can catch them in daylight and i mean that just just time play time and place like you said you know uh, we're going to leave some crops standing for late season. So that's going to be huge. And the thing is, where our property lays, I mean, we've got most of the food around. <laughs> like The yeah. neighbors don't have a lot of food. Like we've got a lot of food. So late season, I think will be, be very beneficial. And um, the security that we have with the property and how thick it is on one side, we're going to hold a lot of does. And I think the rut could be very dynamite over there too. So the thing is, we just haven't hunted it yet. This will be our first fall hunting it. Um, honestly, we're gonna we're gonna do our due diligence throughout the whole year and just see. And it might be one of those things where it's like, man, early season we thought was gonna be really good, and it's not. So I think it's just one of those things we're just gonna hunt it out, see what happens, and uh, see what you know is more fruitful. I guess. No, I, I, that's what pretty much anyone would do. <laughs> with, with yeah, exactly. yeah. is, is try it out but you mentioned a couple of things which are 
great points to make, which is you mentioned food and you mentioned, mentioned bedding um, and, and pressure, because like essentially within that 450 acres that you guys have, like you said, you're going to leave some areas like standing crops, which are phenomenal for late season. And you're going to plant some food plots that are more of an early season plot, like a clover or something. And, uh, and I think like if, if you break down that 450 acres, you're going to break it down into kind of like this area is good for early season. This area is going to be good for late season, this kind of area, but with the bedding and the thickness is going to be good during the rut. You, you kind of break it into these sections. And I think a lot of people don't own 450 acres, but they, maybe they do have a 40 or they have 20 or they have an 80 or, or something like that. And they only yep. have one of those sectors. You know what I mean? They yeah. Only have and, season or something. For sure. And if you were to take our farm and just draw a line right down the middle and we'll call it East block and West block, the West block has all the cover and it's got a little bit of food, but it's all the cover East block has hardly any cover like it's it's something that we're you know trying to rejuvenate right now with a select cut and hopefully that you know generates some more cover we're probably going to get in do some hinge cutting um hack and squirt something like that just trying to generate more cover on that side of the farm because that side has most of the food the the east block does but it has the uh, the less cover so right we're trying to get like that good mix, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so the, the, the East block might not be great early and during the rut. I don't know. Cause security isn't quite there just yet, but the West is, I mean, doesn't have a lot of food, but it does have some food. Um, mm -hmm. So that might be more of the rut spot just with security and lack of pressure. The, the East side might be good early with food and late with food. So who knows? We'll see. Right. Yeah, no, and that's a, that's a, I mean, those are all good points. And one of the, one of kind of what I wanted to touch on was like, if you have the, the early season food, like if you have soybeans or you have clover or you have like a nice green mix, like food is going to play a huge role in how your property sets up um, for anybody yeah. like, like listen to this and trying to figure out. Cause like I have noticed on certain properties that I hunt, like, this property is really good. This piece of public that I hunt is really good early season. It is God awful once pressure hits. And it's just, it's just no good anymore because the deer just get pushed out. But when, but all the food's right here and there's good bedding here, but it gets hit so hard that all the deer just move out. Um, and, and then yep. other pieces of the property are really good during the pre-rut and other pieces are good during the rut. And then other pieces are good late season. So I like, I'm like a nomadic hunter when it comes to pieces of public, like I hardly hunt the same piece for more than a couple of weeks. Cause it seems like as soon as you like get it dialed in within a couple of weeks, you're like, all right, here's kind of where the DR something new is happening. Like October 15th hits. And all of a sudden the bucks are like, ah, I'm going over to scrapes now. I don't care about these soybeans. You know, I don't care. About right. Yeah. They're just moving on. So, so yeah, that's the, that's like the, the big thing I wanted to get across to people in, in this podcast is like when you're out spring scouting, you want to scout for how your property or where you were, where you're going to have the most benefit on your property. And maybe it's, maybe it's your work and life schedule that gives you certain calendar days. Maybe you get more time off in September or in early October than you do in November. 
So you need to find property that hunts well in the early season, or maybe it's vice versa, or maybe you can't hunt and you, you have a ton of time around the holidays, Christmas and new year's. So you want a late season property. So you want to set your property up for that. I think time is a limiting factor for a lot of people. Um, but then looking at, I mean, looking at your food sources and finding food sources that are relevant to that time frame that you can get off. And then uh, food sources, I have a little list here that I made, which is food sources, um, pressure, buck to doe ratios, pinch points and funnels are dominant wind direction. So those are the things that I kind of take into consideration myself. And mm -hmm. like, and looking at looking at your property, I mean, you guys have all the different food sources. So you know, you're going to be setting up certain food sources early season and certain food sources late season, like you said, and then pressure. Yeah. I mean, you like, so around you, I mean, with 450 acres, you can really kind of manage that pressure really well. Um, mm -hmm. But you said the neighbors don't have a ton of food. Does that mean, are they hunters and it's a lot of timber? So uh, one neighbor, there's like one neighbor that doesn't even hunt. That's, that's the crazy thing. Like you go to these different States and it's like, you're in some of the best big buck country you could think of. And there's neighbors that just like, don't care to hunt, but they own all this land. It's like, that's just baffling to me. But uh, one that doesn't even hunt one that two that hunt pretty, pretty heavy. You could tell just by like, um, you know, when you kind of walk up to the fence, you kind of look at like what their setup is. You walk up on like a food plot or something and you could tell like, okay, this guy, he probably takes it pretty seriously. And then the one guy, you, he's got standing beans still and he's got like a hot wire fence around it you can tell he like makes the hot fence or has a you know a, a fence that stays on during the early season so deer can't get into it and eat his beans and he opens it up he i'm like that that guy's a pretty serious hunter probably um <laughs> but sometimes you know and that yeah and then you know we've got to know some of our neighbors already too and and one guy he just you know, he, he turkey hunts a lot. Um, he deer hunts a little bit, but you can kind of tell a lot about somebody just talking to them, how they hunt. And, you mm -hmm. know, it's really not like, doesn't really eat them up. So it's not like that, you know, but uh, from what we can see from aerials and everything and, and what we observe and talking to the neighbors, you know, the, like I said, this is big hill country. There's not a ton of food um, unless you're putting in it in yourself. So um, it's not really ag country, uh, gotcha. yeah. but, but we, we do have ag on us because it was actually made that way. Um, it was a clear cut that, you know, 72 acres of ag now that it was trees two years ago and now it's completely like farmable. So, Dang. um, we kind of made our own ag. So, yeah, that's sweet. Yeah. So I'm and and, and I was curious about that. Cause I mean, pressure for people with smaller land pieces than that. And even on your own, I mean, um, the pressure from other people can certainly push deer onto your property. I know in my own experience, um, the, the neighbors around me don't really hunt until late October. So there really mm -hmm. isn't a whole lot of pressure at all until late October. And they're the guys, the three guys that hunt around me are all retired. So when they start in late October, they can hunt pretty much every day. In the first year I hunted the, our new property, um, they killed three of the five shooters I had on camera within four days. Um, when they, yeah, when they started when they started hunting. So, 
my my thought on that has pushed me like man if i want to do well on this property it's likely that i need to do well with food plots early season and and get these mm-hmm. here before these guys do right yeah. so that's just yeah. that's one way and and i mean public land is obviously like opening weekend is always nuts on public because everybody's always excited but then after that it drops way off until the end of october um so and pressure plays a plays a big role and even non-hunting pressure right or i'm sorry not non-hunting but non-deer hunting so like pheasant hunters small game hunters and all that all that pressure plays a role into you know what pieces are good and what aren't because i know like there's pieces of public that i hunt that if it's like good acorns um you got to get there before the squirrel hunters do because once they get really yeah man i have had it i've had squirrel hunters come in on me so many times i don't know if it's just a thing around me but they are all over the place on me and so like there i can't hunt any um like oak flats or anything within like a half mile of the parking lot three quarters of a mile because they like the squirrel hunters just come in. So, which is kind of nice in a way, because then it limits the deer on what they're eating in that early season. Like they're not going to be there either. They're going to get pushed back to these fur- further and deeper Oak flats. Um, right. So it kind of pushes the deer to certain areas, but at the same time, like it took me years to figure that out. And I hunted those closer spots for a long time because there's always good sign, but it's like essentially nocturnal sign. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah pre-season yeah one camera man i was i had deer blowing it up like every every day i had does and a couple bucks in on this oak flat in most of august and early september and uh then season rolled around and i wasn't able to get out opening weekend and i went second weekend and i checked my camera and i had like five or six squirrel hunters come through and i never had a picture of a deer after that that's <laughs> just oh. <laughs> yeah so i went to set up i walked in there to set up and i checked my camera before i set up and i was just like well i guess i'm probably not gonna sit here because odds are there's a squirrel hunter behind me in 30 minutes coming you know yeah that's uh, yeah that pressure pressure i and people know pressure plays a big role but i just wanted to, to point that out because it i mean it really can dictate how your property sets up yep definitely um, and then like buck to doe ratio, uh, a friend of mine, he has, he's like, I, man, I have like three bucks to a single doe. So the rut around me is, is really good. Like there's a lot of bucks chase trying to get those couple does. Um, yep. so he sets his, he doesn't do a ton of early season hunting. He just waits for the rut because he has that crazy ratio. Um, yep. And he's like, when you see a hot doe, like, even if you see her through your binos at 500 yards, you drop, you drop everything out of your stand and get your ass over there. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like, he's like, there's going to be a parade of bucks behind her. (laughs) He's like, that's where you need to be that day. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a big that's another big piece. Um, cause that would, that would help you kind of determine like, do you need to spend a lot of time early season or if you need to take a week off of work or something like that, or you need to cash in your brownie points with your family or whatnot, when should you do that? And for him, it's always, um, first week in November, just because of that. Okay. That makes sense. Yep. Um, 
And then another one was, uh, was the pinch points and funnel aspects. Um, you know, and I, I, you tell me what you think about this, but I was, I was thinking about this in the sense that if, if you have a big, say your property is like a, uh, you know, an 80 acre square and, uh, 60 acres of it is woods and 20 acres of it's, you know, an ag field and it's just a big square and it kind of the woods is like in an L shape. Um, I mean, that doesn't really set up for, for a good pinch point, you know, or a funnel type scenario. Right. So it really set up that well for the rut because like the deer can kind of go anywhere. Like yep. if you're talking flat land, flatter. Yeah. If that's flat, you're kind of pooch. You kind of, if it's private, I mean, you might be able to make your own pinch with, yeah, you know, our own funnel with, with hinge cutting and stuff like that. I've done that. I'm actually in the process of doing process of doing that right now um, with one of my pieces here in Michigan. But um, if you're, if you're on public, you're kind of, you're kind of pooched, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, no, but that makes a ton of sense, you know, creating your own pinch points. If you have that piece of private, which, which is a really good idea, like finding a way to make it a better funnel or make a better pinch mm-hmm. point so that, yeah. Like you're not sitting in a stand going, well, the deer can come anywhere from a hundred yards to 10 yards from me. So I just hope they take the trail closest to me, you know, kind of pushing yep. the odds. Yeah. So yep. like in like my, like the property, obviously the stand I was talking about earlier, um, the pinch points on, on that, like 50 yards to the cliff, like that's a hell of a pinch point. So that portion of the property sets up really, really well for the rut. So that's why that's where I'm hunting during the rut. And if that's mm-hmm. how yep. you have 20 acres, you have no food, but you have a really, you know, you, you have a piece of woods that connects two other pieces of woods, then, you know, bide your time and sit during the rut and just wait. Exactly. It, it's going to happen right there. If, if you can find an hourglass shape, uh, woods where it joins two big pieces of woods, I mean, find the best spot right there and like the neck of it, or, I mean, like where, where the neck meets the, you know, the bigger piece and it'll happen. It will happen. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that's, that was my point on that is kind of like, then you don't need to spend your time getting your scent around in there in the early season or anything like that yep. in, in the rut. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to wait. And like the, the point of all this that I'm, I'm trying to make here is like when you're scouting, like know what portion of the season you're scouting for, right? Like you made a great point earlier of like, um, we're finding these, these antlers in these beds and these beds are certainly used during season, you know, like you, you, you understand that you're scouting for, you know, the rut or the pre-rut when you're hoping to get in there and hunt those beds or the early season. And you're no, you're, you're, mentally saying i know that that this is a bed right now in march that is being used but at the same time i know that it's that it's also being used in october so Mm -hmm. i i like you're keeping that in mind and you're not just being like oh this is a bed that's used you know in march and then you come back in october and like there's zero sign in it and you did all this work to hunt this bed and you're like, shit, this is just a, a late season, you know, wintering ground that has no effect. Yeah. 
and, and when I find a, a buck a buck bed, I'm you know one of the first questions I'm asking myself is like, what wind do I think he's using this on? You know that that's a big thing for me be, to to realize like how am I going to hunt it if I can, uh, and when it narrows down to me like when I think he's going to be there as well because if if it's a bed that it just doesn't set up for like a south wind let's just say it's a south wind um you know i'm not gonna really hunt it on a south wind then if i don't think he's there you know so it's all like you said earlier it's all speculation sometimes but you kind of got to take all these tools that you know and and you have in your head and you've heard and and kind of put them through the 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 test and see what gets spit out at the end if that makes sense like what ones do you think are going to be pros and not cons if that makes sense as well Mm -hmm. no that makes that makes 100 percent sense um yeah no i i agree and you mentioned the the wind direction like what wind direction are they going to be using it on and that's the Mm -hmm. last thing that i kind of think about when i'm scouting in the spring is um if if i'm like if i find something and it's let's just say we have i don't have any food on my property but I have a bunch of oak trees. So I, I have a bunch of acorns. Well, generally acorns are good early season, right? And in early season, acorns also goes with typically a Southwest wind or a South wind if you're in the Midwest. Um, yeah. So then does your property set up well for a South wind? You know, that's, that's like the next question is, can I enter in from the North onto this property? Right. It doesn't like, okay, how do I, how can I get creative to make that happen? Or Uh to our other, to our other thought is like, if it's during the rut and generally during the rut, it's switches to a North Northwest wind, that cold air coming down from Canada. And so now you need to like plan out when you find these funnels or these pinch points that you want to hunt, you go like in general, you're going to set up for a North Northwest wind because that's going to be the most likely wind in that scenario. Right. So that, and can you enter from the South then? And can you set up well from, from that and have a good entry and exit and all that stuff? So that Mm -hmm. was the, yeah, that was the other point I wanted to make was just be aware of that wind direction. Yeah. That's huge. Cause if you ask me, I mean, I try to do what I can, with my scent control as best I can, but I'll, I'll never beat a deer's nose a hundred percent. So that's, I, I, I'm just, I got to make sure that wind's right for me. <laughs> and yeah, for the no, deer. I'll never beat a Yeah. I, I'll never will. And I don't, I don't like, I don't use enough products or buy enough products and I sweat too much. Like I stink too much to even <laughs> attempt, attempt to use like a scent lock clothing I, you know, I've heard a bunch of people, do you guys ever use Ozonics? Uh, I have in the past. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I felt like it's, I felt like it's, it worked. Um, but the situation had to be perfect. I felt like, okay. I, yes, I, so I will concur. I have two friends that have them and both of them say the same thing. Like if Mm -hmm. it's a real swirly wind, it doesn't work as well as or or at all if it's a just flat wind out of the whatever the west and you're in flat ground then it works really well so that's that's what i've heard yep yeah it's it's for me 
kind of the same thing. It just had to be situation had to be right. Um, if the wind, it felt like if it was over 12 to 15 mile an hour, it wasn't working very good at all. Um, and if it was anywhere from eight to eight to to 12 to 15 mile an hour, it was going to work pretty good. You know what I mean? Like, other than that, if that, in my experience, that's, that's just kind of what, kind of what worked and what didn't work for me. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, all right. Well, no, that's, that's kind of all I got. Did you have anything else that popped into your head on the buck beds or anything else you wanted to throw in on understanding your property and how to scout for it? Not really, man. Um, get out there right now before green up. I know here in Michigan, yeah. we got a lot of snow still and hopefully it's, we're going to lose it this week. I'm hoping, but, um, down in Illinois where we're at, there was no snow at all. It was beautiful 50 degree days. Um, but get out there right now before green up and, you hear a lot of guys saying it and I took it for granted a lot of times too. Like, why would I need a scout in the spring? But I have been doing it for the last five or six years and it's, it's a game changer. It really is. You can see all that sign that was just laid a couple months ago and really see things without the foliage on, which is great. <clears throat> yeah. Can't, can't stress that enough. Scouting in the spring has changed my hunting strategies forever. I mean, that is, yeah, a lot of people are so limited on time during season, like use the time you can in the spring so that your time is better spent in the fall. You know, so you're not hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is, I don't, I, I don't, I think game changer is thrown around pretty loosely nowadays, but I would certainly say spring scouting is a game changer if you don't currently do it. Cause it just, I mean, it provides so much information and you don't have to worry about bumping deer. Like you don't, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, right. it doesn't matter if you bump them out of your bed. <laughs> or exactly. I, I couldn't stress that enough or even more, man. That's it's get out there. And plus a lot of people like me are having cabin fever, you know, coming off yeah. the long winter. I want to get the heck out there and, and enjoy some fresh air too. So that's always good. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. I get that dog running. That's what I do. I just get him, mm-hmm. get him to lose his winter weight. <laughs> there you go. Um, all right. Well, awesome. Thanks for coming back on Aaron. I, I really appreciate it. Um, again, the fall podcast, the key for brothers and you guys got that awesome. Um, whatever that like series or whatever you guys are doing on your website coming out here soon. Yep. Yep. It'll be coming out soon. Um, if you guys, it's not out just yet, but if you guys want to know more, more about it, you can follow, you know, either me on my personal on Instagram or, you know, the fall podcast on Instagram or Kiefer brothers, uh, underscore humanimal. We call it humanimal. It's our brand, um, on YouTube, everything search out Kiefer brothers or humanimal. You see all our content and everything, and you'll see it's coming soon and everybody will get to enjoy it. Hopefully here, uh, within the next month, month and a half. So that's awesome. Sounds good, man. Well, hey, appreciate it. Uh, it's Sunday night, so have a great start to the work week next week, and appreciate having you on. Yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate having me on, and uh, thanks again. Hopefully, we'll be able to do this uh, some other time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. All right. Catch you later, man. All right. Thank you.